I'm glad you're laughing and not uh, <laughs> squirming in your seats. Uh, we, of course, are intentionally mocking, not Jesus, um, but an aspect of Christianity that views Jesus a certain way. See, the sad thing is that some of us actually, when we see that video, even though it's laughter, it's nervous laughter. Because when we think of Jesus, we think of somebody who actually, the reason why he exists is to make sure that we don't slow dance a little too close to our girlfriends. We don't have a little too much to drink. We don't have that one last cigarette. And, and the list goes on and on. The reality is all of us have a perception of Jesus. And the question is, is it the real Jesus? See, our culture has painted a number of pictures of Jesus. Uh, there's not been a time, I think, when, when pop culture especially has been so interested in Jesus in music and film and arts and in, in, in fashion. I mean, there's a number of things uh, uh, I share this morning that, you know, Da Vinci, movies like Da Vinci Code, which, has an unbe- which was unbelievably popular, uh, even though it was terribly acted, uh, the movie itself and the book. See, the popularity, the only way to explain that isn't to say that it was cleverly written. The subject matter was Jesus. And the reality is, a lot of people are interested in Jesus. But is it the real Jesus? Also, I don't know why Christians get so fired up and worked up about Da Vinci Code. Because the last time I checked, you walk through Barnes and Nobles, the book is in the fiction section. You know? So I don't know why. Was he really married? And did they have a child? Anyway, uh, there's, a number of, uh, there's a number of people who follow Jesus as God. 2.1 billion people last time we checked. He is very much relevant. People use his name as a swear word, which is kind of a backhand compliment, I guess, to his ongoing influence in our culture. Um, uh, here's some other ways. You know, our calendars are referenced with him, although apparently the 6th century monk that dated the calendar was off by a few years, if you care even at all. Jesus probably wasn't born exactly the time that we think. He was probably born anywhere from 4 to 5 uh, century B.C., okay? Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and and there, are a number of, there are a number of religions that have painted a portrait of Jesus. And we don't have time to go over it all today. Talked a little bit about it last week. But all the religions, when they think about Jesus or talk about the person of Jesus, they have absolutely no doubt or unclear at all. They say he was a good man or an angel or a combination of both. But to claim that Jesus was God, well, that's just ludicrous. Jesus was a good man, a good moral teacher, someone who had some profound things to say, but he, was, uh, he wasn't any different from any of the prophets. He wasn't any different from any of the wise men. He wasn't any different from any of these founders that founded the major religions of the world, which is a problem, though, because there's one thing that Jesus claimed that got him into trouble. See, Jesus wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't a good person. He didn't come claiming we all should love each other. Can we just all please get along? I love everybody, etc. Jesus came along and said, I'm God. I'm God. And I said this last week. If you think that Jesus was a good teacher who loved everybody and invited everybody to love each other, so on and so forth, you're making a mockery out of history because why would they crucify Mr. Rogers, right? The reality is he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, and, he, and they killed him for it. They killed him for it. Interest in Jesus as high as ever. Uh, go on Google, type in Jesus. You see 169 million pages. Type in Islam or Muhammad, about 27, 28 million. Same thing with Buddha and Buddhism, 27, 28 million. 169 million. There is an enormous interest in Jesus. But who is he? Who is this Jesus? If there is no Jesus, there is no Christianity. Can I just say that? If there is no Jesus, there is no Christianity. Christianity is not about what he left, his teaching. So Christianity is about the person of Jesus. And was he really who he claimed to be? Furthermore, if you have the wrong picture of Jesus, you have the wrong picture of Christianity. And some of us, our Christian lives, dare I say, okay, might not be what Christ had intended, but it's perfect, I mean, it's perfectly understandable because if you have the wrong picture of who Jesus is, the result is that you will have the wrong picture of the Christian life. So it's incredibly relevant for us today. Let me make one thing absolutely clear. Jesus did not come as a moral teacher. He didn't come because we were morally clueless and we just wanted to be clued in on some good moral teachings. 
Yes, he said some profound things, but he didn't come as a moral teacher. He also didn't, Christians, please listen up, didn't come as a good moral example, as if the entirety of what he was about was to live this phenomenal life and do some phenomenal things so that we can look at that and go, wow, well, I want to imitate Jesus. I want to be like him. Now, sure, that has helped some people and it's brought some significant changes. But I don't know about you, but seeing Jesus ultimately as a moral example for me to follow isn't very encouraging. Watching Yo-Yo Ma play the cello or Tiger Woods hit a golf ball, it doesn't inspire me to go out and be like them. It's depressing because I know that I'll never be even close to being like them. Are you tracking so far? That's not why Jesus came. And lastly, whoo, I'm going to talk about this a couple weeks. Jesus didn't come so that you and I can die and go to heaven. That's not the point of why he came. That's not the entire, you know, I walk into Christian bookstores and I see shelf after shelf of apocalyptic material, you know, Left Behind series and Book of Revelation and all, I mean, thousands of books. I think if the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation were to come here today, walk into a Christian bookstore, he'd go, really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. (laughs) This obsession with the afterlife. That's not why Jesus came. Read your Bibles. See, Jesus came because, look, No matter how much good teaching we have, no matter how much good teaching we received, on our own, it's useless. Can we say amen to that? Come on now. And furthermore, he didn't come to be a good moral example for us to follow and imitate because, again, can we just be honest? No matter how hard we try and be like him, look, it's reality is willful short. The reason why Jesus came is because, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, in case you're wondering, uh, we weren't spiritually sick. We're not just spiritually, you know, kind of, we're spiritually dead. We're sinking in a quicksand of sin and death. And the only one that could rescue us from that and give us life is Jesus. That's why he came. If you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad that you're here. I have one request. Will you please stick around until the end of this thing? Okay? And, and, and don't walk out in the middle of it because here's the thing. You know, I said this last week. Our initial point. The context that we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 11, right? Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is asking Jesus, are you the one? Are you who you say you are? And the Bible says that he was offended. Verse 6, he's offended at what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. A little revision on John the Baptist for some of us, I know. But he was offended. He was struggling, okay? And Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are those who do not take offense at me. And what Jesus was saying is this, weirdest beatitude of them all. Blessed are those who feel my offense, who see my offense. Blessed are those who struggle with how offensive I can be, but walk away not offended. So the question I asked was this, when was the last time you were offended by Jesus? When was the last time you read something Jesus said, you heard something that Jesus said? When was the last time you walked on going, oh, that's offensive? Because Jesus says, if you feel that, then you're kind of getting to know who I am. When was the last time you were offended by Jesus? Because the real Jesus, Jesus says, is offensive. He's offensive. So if you're not a Christian, stick around for the whole thing, okay? Give me a chance. If you are a Christian, stick around for the whole thing. (laughs) Give me a chance. Because here's the deal. Christians will be more offended today than non-Christians. Because you know what Jesus says? Jesus says non-Christians actually get it more than Christians do when it comes to my real identity. Do you know that? Do you know that? So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, okay? Some of you are going, I'm offended already that you offended me. I'm offended already that you offended my Christianity. Oh boy, we're just getting started. Matthew chapter, and by the way, I don't offend just to offend. I just repeat what Jesus said, okay? And the reality is he was an offensive man, okay? And if Jesus isn't offensive because of somebody that you've made up in your own mind as a figment of your imagination or a Sunday school youth group fiction of Jesus, listen, listen, listen. We're trying to rediscover who Jesus is. And I don't have all the answers. We're not going to find out everything through this sermon series, but we're going to certainly try. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 20. This is the same context, okay? Same context. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Hello, already. Jesus going on denouncing cities, denouncing people, okay? Okay? And Eugene Peterson, the message, simply says this. Jesus worked harder 
and longer hours in these cities, okay? And yet they were the least responsive. They walked away shrugging their shoulders and going, ah, that's interesting. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed and you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Hmm. So at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, Eugene Peterson, from the sophisticated and the know-it-alls, and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can I stop here? Listen. Can we all be honest? How many of us have heard that verse? We know that verse. But you know what? The truth of that verse, it doesn't really affect us, does it? Uh Uh-uh. We come to me, okay, I'm going to Jesus, I'm burdened, I'm weary, I'm heavy laden, you have this promise, I'm kind of going to you, and we walk away empty. You know why? It's because we're not going to the real Jesus. All of this is tied. All of this is tied. Verse 28 is contingent upon what you think of verses 25 to 27. If you're not going to the real Jesus, you're not going to get your burdens lifted. You're not going to get your weariness helped. You're not. It's not a blanket promise. Hey, come to me, anybody. No, Jesus goes, you got to know who you're coming to. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus shares this in the context of John struggling with who Jesus is. And here's the contemporary significance. Ready? Let me put it this way. There are many of us who are struggling with the identity of Jesus. There are many of us today who are struggling with who Jesus is. Let me tell you how. We have a general observation, general agreement of Jesus because we grew up hearing about him. We cite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We kind of somewhat know intellectually, maybe in our hearts, think that Jesus is God. But here's the problem. Example. You grew up saying that premarital sex is wrong. That it's sinful. That it's not part of God's will. But here's the problem. You graduate high school. You go to college. Maybe you go to graduate college or in college and you're working with folks and so on and so forth and you're exposed to a group of people who think that's absolutely ridiculous. That's ludicrous. Premarital sex is wrong. How regressive are you? Where are you? From like the first century? And all of a sudden you're sitting there going, do I really believe that? Why do I believe that? Is that true? Is that true? See how significant this is? Some of you guys... It was your philosophy class in college. You grew up unshakable. Jesus is the son of God. He's God. He's God. In philosophy class, your professor just ripped into that whole theory of yours and just shredded it. And maybe in class, he said, who is dumb enough to believe this? Will you stand up? And he just went. And you're thinking, is he, is he really God? Is he who he says he is? For some of us. Our boats are rocked because we're going through a hard time. Or you went through a hard time. Severe trials. Severe trials. Painful times. And it shattered your notion of Jesus being this good God, Jesus being this kind God, God being faithful, whatever that means. And all of a sudden, you were faced with, is Jesus really God? God, are you really who you are? Are you really who you say you are? Can I believe in you? Can I trust in you? Can I really give you my life? And Jesus gives the answer here in chapter 11 of Matthew. And here's a wonderful thing. Jesus, to those who ask honestly, doesn't go, foolish, how foolish? How many times do I have to show? When will you learn? You know what Jesus says? He says, welcome questions. Come on, ask. Come on, ask me if I'm really who I am. Come on, ask. And Jesus didn't shy away from it. Jesus didn't shy away from it. And he does the same thing here. He tells John. He tells John the question, are you really who you are? Okay? And here's the, here's the crux of this passage. Crux of this passage is verse 27. Today, I need you to have your Bibles open with you because I need you to follow along with me. A little content heavy, a little heady this morning, but I promise you there'll be lots of application in the middle of it, okay? The crux of this passage is verse 27. Will you say this with me together? Ready? All things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We don't know that verse like we ought to. We don't. We read that verse, we gloss over it one year out the other. We don't know the significance of that verse, and we'll come back to that. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if I am who I am, if I am God, not a moral teacher, not a good, if I am really God, here's the significance. You ready? It changes everything. If I'm who I say, if I'm God, here's the thing. Your relationship with me has to be all-consuming. Here's the thing. If I'm Jesus, I'm who I say, there's no limitations to our commitments. If I'm who I am, you have to change the entire structure of your life, foundation of your life, and I have to be at the center of that. If I'm who I am, there's no compartmentalization. My Christian life here, Jesus here, no. I overwhelm all of it. If I'm who I say, I have given you everything, but here's the thing. I could demand anything. If I'm who I am, I can say things like this. Your love for me has to be so great that your love for anybody else compared to it is like hating them. Jesus, if I'm, if I'm who I am, your love for me has to be so great that you're willing to pluck out your eye and cut off your hand because you don't want anything to stand in the way. Are you hearing? Are you listening? Is what Jesus is saying. If I'm who I am, your relationship with me has no limitations. If I'm who I am. I get all of you. All of you. Because I've given you all of me. But we'll tease that out a little bit more. But let me tell you right now, that's why people are offended. If you don't know the real Jesus, you're in control of your life, you get to do your thing, and Jesus is sort of like vitamin C, a little supplement. I need a little pick-me-up. I need some Jesus. I need some of that. Or my wife's a physician. Flu season. Jesus is like a vaccination for some of us. You know? Get a little bit of it so that we don't catch the real thing. We get a little bit of Jesus, but oh, I don't want the real thing. I don't want it. No. Just a little bit of it. And Jesus says, then you don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. And we go, how, how can he say that? How? how? The, the audacity of Jesus. How, 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 how can you say that? And Jesus' answer is simple. Well, you can question me and doubt me if I was a good moral teacher. You can question me and doubt me if I was some... He said, but if I'm God and I'm who I say I am, your relationship with me, entirely different. Jesus says this at that time. Will you notice? Verse 25, okay? It says, at that time. In other words, there was something going on. There was something going on that prompted Jesus to say this to a group of people that were listening. And here's the, here's the insight. You guys ready? Jesus doesn't say, I'm God, believe it, period. You know? See, when non-Christians, when non-Christians go to you and say, why should I believe that Jesus is God? And you go, well, just because. They go, what? <laughs> they have the right to go, That's stupid. Because Jesus never said, believe in me, that's it, I'm God, suck it up, doubts, who cares, just believe, just believe, just, no, 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 you know what, Jesus is not just a, a Jesus is a shepherd, he's a doctor, you know what he says, he says, hey, hey, come, 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 this is who I am, now, now, you can use this to, to, to bring about transformation in your life, now, come, come to me with questions, this is who I am, let this truth seep into your soul, this is who I am, Use these choose, not just this dogma, not just this, this is why I'm, use these choose to bring about transformation and change in your life, because I can, I can. Now, Jesus says, verse 27, at that time, what was going on? Verses 20 to 24, okay? Here's what was going on, verses 20 to 24. Look at it with me, okay? Jesus. He began to denounce the cities. In verse, uh, verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And he gives a series of woes, woes, woes to Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, okay? And you got to go, what the heck was going on in those cities, right? Here's a description of those cities. You ready? Those cities were what's called, what was called Orthodox Triangle, right near the Sea of Galilee. They were small towns. Let me give you an example. They were small conservative towns with conservative values, okay? They were maybe even God-fearing people, okay? They were devout Jews, Okay? But here's the thing about those towns. You would think what the Jesus says here, woe to you, Capernaum, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Chorazin, that the way that these towns responded to Jesus was, what the heck is that? Bro, get out of here. What are you saying? That's offensive. Forget you. What is that? You would think that the way they responded was rebellion, was rejection. Not at all. You know what happened in these towns where Jesus did most of the miracles? Look through the Gospels. They came out in droves to hear him. They came out in droves to listen to him. They admired him. They said, whoa, that's pretty darn cool. Look at that. 
Wow, that's some profound stuff. Furthest thing from, forget you, here's the finger, get out of here, you're offensive. What is that? They embraced him, they welcomed him, they even liked him. I did that for two reasons, the Bible says. Look to the Gospels. Two reasons. Number one, they loved his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching, the Bible says. Jesus taught and they said, whoa, we've never heard teaching like this. Translation, that inspired me. That was a phenomenal sermon. Yo, you got to come check it out. That was an inspirational thing. I want to be like that. I want to do that. Boy, I really want to change. I want to be what Jesus was talking about. And they came out in droves, loved his teaching, inspired by his teaching, loved his sermons, brought their friends. Secondly, they were awed by his miracles awed by the stuff that he was doing, his power. They said, that's incredible. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's doing amazing things we've never seen anybody else do before. Wow. Translation, you got a problem? Go to Jesus. He helps you. Got a problem? Pray. Jesus will answer your prayers. Got a problem? Go to Jesus. Low self-esteem, he'll make you feel better. You're sick? Pray, and he'll answer their prayers. We go to Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Woe to you. Because on the day of judgment... These other cities that I'm going to talk about would be much better off. Now, what were these other cities? Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. You probably not have heard of Tyre and Sidon. Have you heard of Sodom? Yeah. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's referencing cities that are large. Okay? So maybe, I don't know, a small town in Illinois compared to Chicago. And Jesus is saying, large cities where it's full of wickedness, full of rebellion, full of idolatry, full of immorality, where people are just doing their own thing, out doing their own thing. Don't want to hear anything about who Jesus is and what he's about. Jesus had the audacity to say, better for those large cities than for you. Small conservative towns actually listening to me, hearing me. What the heck is Jesus saying? What in the world is Jesus saying? How could he say that those large cities and wickedness, idolatry, immorality, nothing to do with Jesus, are better off at the end than us? The key is found in verse 20 and 21 when he says, For you, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, did not, here's the word, ready? Repent. Now, I think of the word repent. You know what I think of? I think of this guy named Max when I was in college. He was a street yard preacher. He stood in the courtyard with his big old King James Version Bible, right? And as people walking by, he would say, repent, repent, y'all going to hell. He would say that, y'all going to hell, repent, you idolaters, repent, you adulterers. You know, I'm going, I'm not even married yet, give me a chance, you know. Repent, you drunkards, repent. We think of the word repent, we're like, ah, here's what we think of when we hear the word repent. You know what we think of? Number one, some of us that grew up in church, we think of repent as in like emotionally feeling bad. Oh, I felt so bad. I shouldn't have done that. I did it again. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I don't want to mock anybody, but I'm just saying that's me, right? Repent. I'm repenting of my sins. And so we think of repentance as feeling bad about what we're doing, feeling bad about what we've done, right? And wanting to change. That's not repentance. So I always think of repentance as this. Have you been in church? Repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. Now these youth pastors throw out these words, right? Metanoia, that means stop whatever you're doing. Turn around and just go the other way. Dude, I want to go, dude, I've tried like a thousand times. Like I've stopped, I've turned around. Problem is I don't have what it takes. Anybody with me? Repentance. Just stop whatever you're doing. I'm going, I can't stop whatever I'm doing. That's why I need Jesus. Turn around. I go, turn around where? And go the other way. I don't even know what the other way looks like. Repentance. (laughs) That's not what Jesus was saying. Listen. Repentance isn't behavior modification. Repentance isn't feeling. Repentance isn't feeling bad for what you feel. Repentance is much, is much deeper than that. Here's what I mean. It doesn't matter how much you repent by feeling bad for yourselves and wanting to change. Unless you deal with what's underneath that, you're never going to fully repent. Are you tracking? You can't truly repent if you stop at wherever you're going and turn around and go the other way. If, again, the very foundational things that's making you go that way is uprooted. You know what repentance is? Repentance is tearing up, rooting up. Repentance is, tear, is, 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 is tearing and rooting up what you currently have as your foundation and rebuilding your entire life on another foundation. 
Can I say that again? Repentance is tearing up, rooting up whatever right now is the foundation of your life and rebuilding your entire life on another foundation. That's repentance. That's repentance. And it makes so much sense. Many of us struggle with lust, sexual immorality, lust, so on and so forth. And how many times have we repented feeling bad, sorry? How many times have we come to God and said, God, I'm going to stop turning around and go the other way? Do you know why for many of us there isn't change? Because we're not dealing with the deep-rooted issues. And that is what are you finding your security, your identity, your self-worth on? Repentance is uprooting what gives you identity, what gives you foundation. Repentance is rooting up what makes you feel like I'm an okay person. Repentance is rooting whatever that is and rebuilding your entire life on something else. And that is Jesus. That's repentance. And Jesus is saying to these people, you come to me, you like me. You're seeing what I'm doing. You admire it. You think I'm a great teacher. You're going home and saying, I think I'm going to change now. I'm going to do differently. Or you inspire it and you go, ah, I think I want to close the relationship with Jesus and I'm going to go to him when I need something. I'm going to pray. I'm going to... And Jesus is going, listen, listen, listen. The worst thing that you can say to me is that you like me. Because if you're really hearing what I'm saying, you will either think, C.S. Lewis last week, that I'm the most wicked person in the world because he knew he wasn't God, but he intentionally fooled people into thinking that he was God to a point where they gave their lives. You're wicked. So you will hate him. And Jesus says, if I'm wicked, then you have the right to do that. Or he's crazy on a level with the poached egg, as C.S. Lewis says. He thinks he's God. Doo-doo. Jesus says, if that's the case, then fear me. Or... I am who I am. I'm God. And that means everything changes. Do you know what Jesus is saying? The most dangerous place that you can be is the spiritual middle. The most deadly place that you and I can be is what's called the deadly spiritual middle. And Jesus is saying, get the heck out of that deadly spiritual middle. Are you in that deadly spiritual middle? Yeah, Jesus... He's my savior, you know, going to heaven. But when it comes to relationships, money, sexuality, other things, I'm in the driver's seat. I need a little vaccination of Jesus, but just enough of him to know that I'm all right, but not all of it. I don't want to catch the real thing. Be either hot or cold. Do you know what he's saying to these cities, big cities? He's saying, they're saying, you're offensive. I don't want that. I reject you. I rebel against you. Jesus is saying, better for them because they're actually hearing what I'm saying. Unlike you. You don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. They're closer to the kingdom than you, Jesus. You know what? The, Jesus, this, your non-Christian friends... People that you know who actually thought about Christianity and this claim that Jesus has gotten, they're saying, no way. Jesus is saying, they're actually closer to finding me than you. Christians in the deadly spiritual middle. Are you hearing him? <laughs> it just occurred to me this morning. And this is read the Gospels. The more Jesus revealed himself, the crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So I'm envisioning our church, you know, for the next successive Sundays getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. We had an Oprah moment this morning, so I want to have an Oprah moment right here too. What do I mean? Talk to me. Talk. How does this make you feel? How, how does this register with you? I'm serious. We do this in our church. And we had a couple people bold enough to speak up. How does this resonate with you? Anybody? Anybody? Be honest. Does this offend you? It should. If you're a thinking person, a Christian, thinking Christian, Jesus comes and says, uh, 
the way it's worked, not going to work anymore. Everything changes. You're all, all all-encompassing. The very core of who you are, me. Uproot everything else, me. Pluck out your eye if it gets in the way, me. Cut off your hand if it gets in the way, me. Now, he says a little more graciously than I do, you know. That's offensive if you're a thinking person. But if Jesus is a vaccination, if Jesus is a good teacher, good moral example, a model, and Jesus is somebody that you can pet, a figment of your imagination, he's not offensive. And lastly, he's not dangerous. He is comfortable. He's very comfortable. So talk to me, church. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you guys are actually hearing what I'm saying then. It scares me to death too. It does. Because you got to go, well, what the... Do you realize that the, and I put this in quotes, the mainstream evangelical Christian subculture that we grow up in? Man, what's it done to us? What has it done to us? Is it any wonder that the non-believing world looked at us and says, why the heck should I be wanting that? Stand for something. Live for something, man. Be radical for something. Anybody else? Trust me, your sentiment is probably shared by other people. Anybody else? Yeah. It's extremely uncomfortable. Okay. Okay. Somebody raise your hand back there. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Amen. Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then we're the biggest fools that have ever lived. We are to be pitied more than all men. To which I go, Amen, Paul. You get it. Yeah, you know, he kind of got it, I think. <laughs> My guess. You know, he kind of kind of got the whole Christian life thing, you know. He's up there going, I've been flogged. I've been shipwrecked. What the heck have you gone through, Peter? Anybody else? Yes. Oh, this is so good. Did you hear that? He says, I'm afraid that it's going to take me where I don't want to go. Oh, my gosh. That could be the sermon title for today. I'm afraid he's going to take me where I don't want to go. Because if Jesus Christ is who he says he is, I'm telling you, and you believed it, I believed it, our city would look different today. Because our lives would look different today. We would be radically different people if we really believed who he says he is. But it hasn't made a dent. I warned you it was going to be offensive today. It hasn't made a dent. The Jesus we think of is the Jesus of our own making. He's not the lion of Judah. He's a little cub. Mm. (laughs) I'm sorry for that stupid biblical reference. For some of you, they're like, lion of Judah, what the heck is that? Is that some football team? No, it's not. It's some... (laughs) obscure biblical reference. I'm really sorry. Okay, let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Because if this was bad, wait till you get to the next part. (laughs) Okay? Because we're going to actually look at the claim of Jesus in verse 27. And I'm telling you, this verse will come alive to you. Because look at verse 27. Okay? Verse 27. He says, All things have been committed to me. By the way, this is the crux of this passage today. By my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. To which you go, "Uh uh-huh, okay, let's move on. No, stop for a moment. Because what Jesus says here, nobody has ever uttered ever in the history of mankind. And this right here is the key that unlocks our Christian life. Listen. First of all, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son, right? To which if you're thinking again, you're reading, you go, wait, you're contradicting yourself, Jesus, because you said that we could all get to know the Father, and we should know the Father, and you'll let us get to know the Father. Now you're saying, no one's going to know the Father except me? No, the key is what he says in the beginning of the verse where he says, all things. 
all things, everything. And the context of that passage, he's talking about knowledge. He's talking about revelation. In other words, what Jesus is saying there is this. Nobody knows the Father. Nobody knows God like I do. I know you. I'm the only one that knows everything there is to know about him. There's nothing about God the Father that I don't know. Nobody knows God like I do. All there is to know about him, I know. If he had weight, I would know how much he weighs. If he had height, I would know how, much he, how tall he is. If it, there's nobody that knows the Father like me. To which we go, all right, that's kind of impressive. But you know what, Peter? Other people have made that claim. Matter of fact, that's exactly the reason why I'm not a Christian, see? That's exclusive. That's narrow. How could he claim? What about, what about Muhammad? What about Buddha? What about all these other religious leaders that have found these phenomenal religions? They all claim to know God. They all claim they had a knowledge of God. So Jesus, there, Christianity. I'm the only way to in their life. Right. Exclusive. It would be possibly if this all Jesus said. But then he said something else in that verse. Did you notice? He not only said... Nobody knows a father like me, but he said, nobody knows me but God. Think. Jesus saying, nobody's smart enough to know me unless you're the smartest person in the world. And the only one I checked, God. Nobody's deep enough, profound enough to know me, all of me, unless you're eternal, you're infinite. Unless you don't have a beginning. And the last time I checked, only one person. That's God. Uh, nobody is wise enough to know me. Nobody's eternal enough to know me. Nobody can comprehend me unless you're the beginningless creator. And oh, by the way, God fits that bill. And he is the only one that can know me. You know what Jesus is doing? He's literally saying, I'm God. I'm God. He's putting himself on par with God. Nobody gets me. I'm too deep for anybody else unless you're God. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows the depths of who I am unless you're God. And nobody in history of the world ever claimed that. That's why if you're not a Christian today, I said this last week, if that's the claim that Jesus makes, he's either right or wrong. But don't accuse him of being narrow-minded. Are you tracking so far? He's either right or wrong. Tiger Woods says, sorry of sports analogy, I'm the greatest golfer in the world. There is no par, there is no one parallel to me. You could either say, Tiger, you're full of it, you're wrong. Or Tiger, you're right. But nobody goes up to Tiger Woods and says, that's very narrow-minded of you. <laughs> you're being incredibly exclusive. I'll accuse him of being right or you're wrong, but that's not being narrow. Last week, cancer. Somebody develops a cure for cancer, right? And you could say, if anybody wants to live, I have the cure. Again, you go and say, you're either right or you're full of it. You're wrong. But how ludicrous is to go up to that person and go, you're being very narrow-minded. If Jesus is, if what he says is true, if what he says is true, listen, this is the crux of what this passage is saying. Jesus is saying, I am God. If that's true, do you know what this means? He says, repent. What does it mean? He says, I need to become your all-absorbing center. If I am who I am, Christian, are you listening? I'm the reason why you get up in the morning. If I am who I am, I give you reason to live. If I am who I am, my love, your love for me has to be so great that no other loves can compare. If I am who I am, I demand all because I've given you all. If I am who I am, I become the foundation upon which your identity, your security, your self-worth, and all that is built. If I am who I am, you don't get to choose and say, I have this much relationship with you. It's all-consuming. If I am who I am, it's limits in your commitment. If I am who I am, I can say to you, go there and you'll go. If I am who I am, I can say to you, give that to me and you'll give it to me. If I am who I say I am, I say I dictate where your life goes. If I am who I am. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what Jesus is saying? (laughs) He says, I've given you all. I own the world. I own the universe. And I will give it to you all. I paid the ultimate sacrifice. But your relationship with me totally changes if I am who I am. And Jesus is saying, are you listening? Are you in Bethsaida, Capernaum, Chorazin? Are you really listening to me and saying, 
If that's what it means to be a follower of you, no thanks. I'm out. To which Jesus says, I respect that. Is this hard? Is this hard? It is for me. It's hard for me because I'm just like you. I'm just like you. What do I mean? When you look at the entirety of Jesus' life, it's hard to come to a conclusion that he's wicked, that he was evil. Why? And I'm going to talk about this more. Look at who he chose to surround himself with. What wicked, I want to be God, I want to be the most powerful person in the universe and I want to bring about, what that kind of person, what, what person like that ever gave their lives for the least of these, the marginalized, the poor, the broken, and chose to give his all to them? What wicked megalomaniac. He can't be crazy. Look at the words. Look at his life, the beauty of it. Would that be somebody on par with the poached egg? C.S. Lewis says, he's either wicked, so hate him. He's either crazy, so fear him. You don't have another choice, though, but to say then that you are God. You don't get to go, Jesus. I kind of like you as a pet. You don't get to go, Jesus. I kind of want some of you, a little bit of you, not a whole lot. You don't get to say, Jesus, I'm a Christian. I'm saved, but you're not going to be the Lord. You're not going to be king. Jesus, I'm saved. I'm a Christian, but I live my life the way Jesus says. It changes everything, everything, everything. So how do we get over this? How do we get over this hump? The key in that passage is Jesus says, Father, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned or sophisticated know-it-alls and you've revealed them to little children. The word little children in Greek literally is infant, babes, toddlers. My son, Parker. And the image there is so profound. You know, my son, can I just talk about my son a little bit here? My son, my son, my son. Jenny and I, when he was learning how to talk, you know, and, and sort of show affection, to say that we want to hold you, you know, hold me, uh, he, he wasn't, we weren't going to go say, Parker, now listen, he's a year old, right? A year and a half, he's Parker, if you want to be held, you say, Daddy, will you hold me? <laughs> Mommy, will you hold me? So we just simply ran out to him and said, hold you? To which Parker said, hold you? And we pick him up and all, I know, I know, it's the cutest thing in the world, right? <laughs> it's the cutest thing in the world, right? So we go up to him and Rosie Baby said, you know, you go up to my son and I say, hold you, you know? And he doesn't say, hold me. He says, hold you and pick him up and hold him. Here's the thing about a toddler. I say, hold you and you pick him up and you hold him. Here's what characterizes that embrace. There's no resistance. There's no fighting. It's complete vulnerability. It's complete accessibility. It's complete dependence. It's complete <sighs> limp in your arms. You know what Jesus is saying? Unless you're a child spiritually, you'll never be able to embrace the cross. Here's the reason why. The cross is offensive. Because the cross comes along and says, you didn't just need a good teacher. You didn't just need a good example. The cross says, you're so weak, you're so blind, you're so lost, that nothing but the Savior of the world coming down and dying for you and embracing you and loving you and holding you, nothing but that could have saved you. Nothing. Nothing. Remember I shared last week? You buy a book called How to Start Conversation and Make Friends. Try giving that to one of your friends. <laughs> be like, what the? What, what, what is this? Happy birthday. I do make conversation. Make what? Some gifts can only be received when you're willing to acknowledge that you have a need. The cross comes along and says, you have a need. And unless you're willing to say, Daddy, hold you. You can't experience his grace. But here's the other flip side of that. Not only humble yourself to receive, but also be lifted up and see the value that you have. I said this last week. Do you know why when somebody says, look, somebody comes up and says, I love you, and we listen to those words like, I love you. 
the words don't mean anything unless it's coming from somebody from whom it gives meaning. Somebody that you like or you don't like, you don't admire, you don't respect. Somebody actually you don't not choose not to do something with comes to you and says, I love you. And you go, well, you do? <laughs> but somebody who loves you, who you admire, who you love, who you respect, somebody who you would give your life for, somebody who you give your entire thing for because that person is that beautiful in your eyes. When that person comes and says to you, I love you. Do you know why our hearts are not transformed when we hear the words, Jesus loves you? It all depends on who the words are coming from. He loved you like that. Like that. He loved you by giving his all. And that God comes and says, what, what is it I could possibly not give to you? You are that precious, that valuable to me. Christians, some of us, can I say this this morning? You know why you're so tired and so anxious and worried? Because you have a syndrome called know-it-allness. Know-it-allness. I know. God, I know I should be married right now. Why am I not married? Look at this. This is fun. Why am I not wor- Why am I not married? Why do I not have somebody? I know I should be. God, why, why am I not in that job? Why am I not in that career? Why am I not getting the things that I know what exactly my life should be like? And you're tired and you're worried. And God comes along and says, let go of your know-it-all burden and rest. For some of you, you're angry at God. Again, know it all. I know how that person should have responded to me, and I'm angry because that person didn't respond the way I wanted them to. God, I know exactly what should have happened in that situation, and it didn't. You didn't come through. Now I'm angry, and God comes along to you and says, become a child. Lay down your burden of I know it all. Do you know who the one that invites you is. And the only posture that we can take, profound and simple as it is, is to come to your heavenly Father, Jesus, who is God, and say, hold you. Hold you. Hold you. Let's pray together. If you're not a Christian here this morning, my encouragement to you is to continue to come along with us on this journey. Come and see. Don't just try and figure it out on your own. Come and see. Get by the offensiveness of Christ and see the beauty of who He is and what He offers to you. The one who gave it all who yielded all, who surrendered all. The one who the Bible says did not consider equality with God, something to be selfish led on to, but it came down, all the way down, all the way down, and became one of us. If you are a Christian here this morning and you are tired and weary from the know-it-allness burden, oh, child of God, child of God, the only way to get out of that spiritual middle, the only way to get out of that funk spiritually, the only way to, to do that is to realize that you're just a child. Just an infant in his arms. And God says, will you go limp? Will you be vulnerable? Will you be dependent? Will you be accessible? I'm here. I'm here. I'll give you a few moments just to pray and to respond to your God, your Jesus. And then the worship team will lead us. Before we end today, I wanted to spend a moment praying. For those of us vulnerable enough this morning to say, I'm tired, I'm weary, Peter, from carrying the burden of know-it-allness. And there are areas in your life, areas in your life you need to release, let go, allow God to be God.
If that is you this morning, we want to pray for you together as a church. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Just stand from where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Just stand. Stand from where you're at. We want to pray for you and pray with you. Okay? Come on. Don't wait. Stand up. Stand up. If you need some prayer, stand up from where you are. Say, Peter, pray. Church, pray. Because I'm tired from carrying this burden. I need to let God be God. I need to see Jesus as he is. Stand, continue to stand from where you're at. Continue to stand from where you're at. I want to pray for you and pray with you. Okay. You know what? If I could ask for those of you that are standing next to these folks, will you, or behind or in front of, will you stand and put your hands as you can on these folks right now? Stand up around them. Be the church. Be the church. Be the hands of Christ. Be the mouth of Christ. Be the church. Put your arms around them. Put your arms around them and put your hand on them. And begin to pray for them. Pray. Lift up your prayer right now. Right now. That they would release and let go of their burden. They would release and let go of their their wrestling. They would seek Jesus as he is. Pray that they would see him as sovereign. Pray that they would see him as Lord, as king. Pray that whatever the burden, whatever the know-it-all burden is, that would relinquish them to the Lord. Pray for your friend. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Hallelujah. Father, we lift up, Lord God, our brothers and our sisters unto you, Jesus. We lift them up, God. God, pray that you would be with them today. Spirit of God, will you remind them, Lord, you are God. Spirit of God, remind them, Jesus, that you are God, that you're in control, that you are the Lord of kings, that you are Lord of kings and King of, and King of kings, that you are the sovereign one, and that you love us like that, that you love us like that, that you've given your all. You've given your all, Jesus, and that we would be able to lay our burdens down at your feet. No. Hallelujah, Jesus. We lift them up unto you, oh God. Father, we lift up our brothers and our sisters unto you. God, as we come to you today, we pray and ask that you, Jesus, would be God. Father, we release, we relinquish, we let go from our weariness, from our burden, from the things that we carry. We, we let go. We lay them at your feet, at the feet of Jesus. And we declare that you are God and that we are not. We declare that you are sovereign and that we are not. We declare that you know it all and that we do not. And that we can rest in that truth of knowing who you are. Jesus, we lift up all of our brothers and our sisters unto you. Carry them, carry them, carry them. Church, can we all stand together? Let's all stand together as we close. Let's close in this song. Respond to this song. Send like this. If you need to go, go. If you want to come forward and pray in front of the altar, in front of the cross, you can do that. Remain in your seat. I ask the worship team to play for about five more minutes, okay? So in respect for the folks that are here, if you need to leave, will you leave quietly, okay? Leave quietly. Pick up our journey next week, a special Valentine's-themed Sunday as we talk about the wedding in Cana. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday, 9 o'clock. Bring somebody with you. Have a great, great, great week, you guys. Take care.